Hi, and welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're making our way to Mark chapter 8, which marks a halfway point, and uh, so things are going to take a turn, and I'm going to talk about that. A very important scripture facing us, a very important life and death question that Jesus will ask, and it's a question he asks every living human soul. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, today's passage so well known, a question that really is a life and death question. It determines where we'll spend forever. We pray for ears that can truly hear what your spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, talking about questions, right? It's been said there's no such thing as a stupid question. I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) And by your response, I think you agree. Uh, My mind goes straight to the Pharisees, those religious rulers that didn't like what Jesus had to say. Um, They were asking so-called innocent questions, right? But actually, they were trying to, by those questions, trap Jesus. And so trick questions that are meant to trap the Son of God, I would consider that a pretty dumb question, amen? (laughs) But, uh, you know, there's all kinds of questions. Uh, Simple, straightforward questions for some clarity. Those are good kinds of questions. First time I ever met Pastor Adam, 13, 14 years ago. Now, the, uh, the young man who did the announcements, if you don't know who I'm speaking about, he came up to me after a sermon and said, I've got a lot of questions. And I said, as m- many of you have heard, well, God's got a lot of answers. Let's have lunch. And so that's how it all began there. Some straightforward, you know, pretty genuine Questions looking for more clarity. And there are trick questions with an agenda all of their own. There are rhetorical questions that really aren't looking for an answer at all, right? I mean, are you really going to wear that tonight? (laughs) (laughs) That's not a question, right? (laughs) That's not a question. And then there is, as I've been alluding to, the question of questions, no greater question. It is the king of kings question, and it is asked by the king of kings to every human being. There's no other question like it in the world, and theologians call it the ultimate question for that reason, because every other question you could possibly ask in the entire universe pales in significance because the answer to this question according to the Bible will determine where you spend eternity. Let me show you what I'm talking about. 
Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him yet. It wasn't quite time. So that's what we're going to talk about. A couple questions, a couple answers, and there's a lot that has to do with you and me. Now, interestingly, both Wednesday night Bible study, we're in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've reached that halfway point. And it doesn't always mean when, you, when, you, when you're in a Bible uh, book and you, you get halfway that there's a major shift. But in these two books, Ecclesiastes and in the book of Mark, when you hit the halfway point, there is a major shift. It's sort of a watershed moment, chapter 8 here in the gospel of Mark. Let me tell you what I mean by that. Chapters 1 through 8 have been telling you the story that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, 1 through 8. And, And we're hearing what he's saying, what he's claiming, and the miracles that are verifying that truth that started in Mark 1, verse 1. I'm telling you the good news about Jesus, the Son of God. Now we're closing up here in chapter 8 with a question about whether or not that has gotten through to the general populace and whether or not that has gotten through to his disciples in a personal way. So we're closing out then the first half of the story. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who he is. Chapters now 9 to the end of uh, the Gospel of Mark will be what he came to do. So the first half is Jesus is the Son of God. The second half, the Son of God came to die for the sins of the world. And, And so... A perfect little bookend to one through eight is who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Is, it, is the answer the son of God? For that's the point of the first eight chapters. So we're going to see that. Now, here in chapter eight, it starts with a story that I'm not preaching because we just preached about this uh, two, uh, two chapters ago, the multiplication of the fish and the loaves of bread. But this one's a different story because it's to the Gentiles. And so he's in Gentile territory here in chapter eight, and he's doing the same thing that he would do for Israel and that he had done. He took a few small loaves, a few fish, and fed everybody. And then he said, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread of heaven. I come down. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. If anyone eat this bread, the work work that I do on the cross, the essence of who I am, whoever receives this bread will live forever. And so here in chapter 8, The truth has been made known. It's not just for Israel. This bread from heaven is for the whole world. 
So I preached and kind of exhausted the spiritual applications of the bread and the loaves. And a couple chapters ago, you can go on the podcast and catch that. And then he gets to a healing of a blind man that is the setup for the question. So it comes right before this big life or death question. And it's tied. It's strategically timed for us because it has a spiritual application. Uh, Let me show you a little bit of what I'm talking about. So they came to Bethsaida before they get to Caesarea Philippi, and some people brought him a blind man. Doesn't know who Jesus is. Begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him. Jesus said, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people They look like trees walking around. So once more, Jesus put his hands on this man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. This is really to set you up for the the question, which is spiritually discerned that you have to have open eyes to see to know who Christ is and what he came to do in order to be saved. And so it's important that, and I'll make a few comments about this text. Really, for whatever reason, the man is not healed immediately. Scholars believe that it's to show that coming to saving faith sometimes requires multiple touches and encounters with the gospel and with the Son of God, and that the realization of who Christ is, that I need to trust him, can be gradual. It can be progressive. And in this, this is what we're seeing here. Now, we already talked about the spittle. Very interesting that the spittle of Christ, the Son of God, is applied to those eyes. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago or last week about the offense of the Gospels. Bible commentators say that something so off-putting and unattractive and somewhat shocking that Jesus would do that to someone's face is the first part of the Gospel to man. It's so humbling to hear that you're a sinner, that you, your good works aren't enough, that you're hopeless and helpless without the grace of God. Those are as repelling as spittle in the case. And, and, but in order for you to see the truth, to see Christ clearly, to have your vision, spiritually speaking, restored, you have to receive a little bit of the harsh truth and the, the offensive realities that God's uh, word has for us. And, and as he's wiping away what could be offensive, he, he sees trees as men, men as trees. So what is that about? Well, you know, he, 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 it's a progressive thing. He needs another touch. And so Jesus is working with this man's faith. This man is, has enough faith to see, well, I'm kind of getting it. I'm open to it. I want more. Yes. And Jesus touches again and bam, he's fully restored. This miracle, of course, as I've been saying, speaks to our the opening of our spiritual eyes to understand who Christ is so that we can be saved. Sometimes it's immediate. It's like a lightning bolt, isn't it? 
It was for me. There were things leading up to it, but man, it was in one second. My eyes opened. That was it. I walked out of a bar, as most of you know, on the sidewalk with my my brother by my side, 19 and 17, and bam, my eyes were open. I, I, I went in the bar blind, and I came out seeing, Amen. and it was the first touch for me. But I know many people that came to faith through a progressive kind of a gradual way that required Jesus multiple touches of the word of God. And as those touches are met by an openness on our part, then the, 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 the complete healing happens and we're be, we, we are made whole. Sometimes it's immediate, like the apostle Paul, bam, Sometimes it's more progressive like these disciples. And sometimes it never happens. Sometimes you get stuck at, I see men as trees. By the way, that he sees men as if they're trees means that his blindness, it's our clue, his blindness came as a result of disease or injury, accident, because he knows what trees are. So so we see that. So some people... (laughs) like Judas and the Pharisees. Oh, there's lots of hands touching. There's lots of truth. There's lots of revelation, but there's blur. They don't come to full sight or full saving faith. And, and, and the problem isn't that God can't do it or that he's low on batteries that day. It's somebody isn't cooperating. But this man, he cooperates. And so that's the gist. And so it would appear that the crowd, you know, he wants to know. Now to our passage, we can have the passage back. Jesus first wants to know the crowd out there. They've had me around three years. Are they still seeing men as trees? How about you guys? You guys still blurred in your vision, still confused, still kind of coming up with false understandings and interpretations of who I am and what I came to do. And so here, it's pretty easy today. Two sets of questions and answers. There are talking points, right? And so um, as it usually is, God starts generally. (laughs) There it is. And then he works his way personally, and he, bam, he's straight for the person's individual heart. So listen up. If you came here uh, this morning, you've been kind of touched with some kind of revelation, but you're still kind of in the fog. You see men as trees, right? Listen up, because this could be the second touch. Because the Lord's here, and he works through his word. And so whatever it is was the problem, the hang-up, the sticking point. If you're open and you want to be healed and you want to see and you want to know the truth, even if it means wiping the spittle out, he's here to do that. So let's jump in here. The conversation starter, hey, guys, listen up. He says, who do people say that I am? What's the scuttlebutt out there, the streets of Israel, the general consensus? What are people saying? Right? And so uh, the setting is important. Caesarea Philippi, let me talk to you about it. 
That's where they are. And Jesus is teaching us something by laying this question out and the instruction that follows, the ramifications of saying Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of the living God. The ramifications come next sermon uh, from Matthew's chapter 6. Matthew 16 will tell us more about that. But the foundation of Christianity, the promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, and that the foundation is the passcode of heaven is Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of the living God. Where does he choose to do that? He chooses to do it in a most interesting place. This is what it looks like now, modern day, right? Where a hundred of you will attend, Lord willing, in the spring of next year. Here's the picture of Caesarea Philippi. And the remains of what used to be, the original name is called Paneus, right? After the god that they worshipped there, the god of Pan. And in fact, Caesarea Philippi's real name today is not Paneus, but Baneus. It retains the name. Now, let me show you what it artist's rendering is from all of church history and Josephus and all of this, what Caesarea Philippi looked like back in the day. The rabbi said, you see the holes in the walls and the little things here? The rabbi said, no good Jew in his right mind would ever step foot in a place as defiled as Caesarea Philippi. Why? It was <laughs> the worst of Las Vegas, from all my reading, the worst of Amsterdam, the worst of Mardi Gras, all combined into a religion and had a worship center built there at the um, foot of Mount Hermon. And so there was a smorgasbord of devilish, blasphemous, violent, vulgar activities, all in the name of spirituality and gods. There was a god for everything there. And so uh, the name uh, Herod, Herod Philip, you remember Herod Philip had a wife who fell in love or lust, <laughs> fell in lust with Herod Philip's brother, Herod Antipas, right? I'll just throw this in for free. This is the Herod Philip who named this from Peneus. He changed the name to Caesarea to honor the emperor and Philippi to honor himself. And so he made the town the name of Caesarea and Philip. We're best friends. And so that's really what he did here. And this is the place where Jesus will say, I'm bringing my church into this place and from the center of Satan's throne of lost people, of wrong ideas, of spiritual deception, false religions. In the center of this, I will lay a foundation and that foundation is Jesus Christ and him crucified that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He wants the church to live within the context of Paneus. The Bible says in Philippians 2 that you who know the Lord, you are like lights shining in the universe, stars shining in the universe, holding out the word of life 
to those who are on the wide road that leads to destruction, and many go that way, versus, Jesus said, the narrow path that leads to life, and few there be who find it. Broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many take that path. And so he's saying, the church goes in the middle, and I want you to be a light on a hill. I want you to shine the truth. I want you to to make a difference, not to be repelled and to be judging it all and, and to be turned off by it, but the place that Jesus wants to confirm, this is who I am, and this is what I came to do to save the world. He picks the most spiritually defiled and needy place that he can find where no good Jew would ever go. Jesus goes to say, who do you say I am? And upon that confession that Jesus is Lord, I will change the world. But it will be done with Peneus all around you, guys. You will carry on your kingdom of God, the kingdom of God in the middle of darkness, That's how it is. And so, moving on, you know, Jesus asks a quick question. You know, he wants to know what's going on. Uh, If his word is getting out there, he already knows the answer. He wants to know, what's the word on the street? Do they still see men as trees, question mark? And so here you have before you the erroneous list John the Baptist, some say, some say Elijah, and still others say the prophets. Matthew will add the name of Jeremiah. We get the thing. To me, the striking thing is, is I can never understand this because it's their confusion, their menace, trees, vision is so unnecessary because Jesus is so very clear. The Holy Spirit to men's hearts. He's so clear. He speaks your language. He knows how you think. When the Holy Spirit comes calling and convicting you in your sin, he knows how to speak John and and Debbie and Matt. He knows how to communicate. So you've got to ask yourself, what are people saying? He's been preaching three years, and Jesus says, spiritual thermometer, here's the test. Do they get it? Do they still see things crossed? Or did they get it? And he says, well, first of all, John the Baptist. Well, I I just say, are you guys kidding me? How could you think he's John the Baptist? First of all, John the Baptist and Jesus worked alongside each other, right? And, And nobody was more opposite, polar opposite than Jesus. John was kind of a guy, a recluse, kind of monastic, kind of aesthetic kind of guy. In other words, he wasn't a big eater, He fasted and prayed a lot. He was kind of a little socially odd and awkward. He dressed funny, right? And he lived in the wilderness eating occasional grasshoppers and, right, right? And he's thunder, thunder, thunder. Let's compare him to Jesus. Jesus was at weddings and turning the water to wine and eating so much they called him a glutton and a drunk. So Jesus said, let let me get this straight. They said, first we send John. John's kind of like a straight arrow kind of guy, doesn't eat, does fast, and doesn't want to party. Then then we come to you with weddings and wine and backyard barbecues and the love of God. And by the way, Jesus never 
raised his voice on the streets, Matthew chapter 12, quoting Isaiah 42, that Jesus was more gentle in his approach with people, and John was thunder in your face. How could anybody, when they said, Who's, who is that Jesus? Oh, he's John the Baptist. <laughs> why, why are you doing this? Well, I'm going to give you a hint here, and I'm going to follow up on this thought. It's willful. It's a willful confusion. Let me talk to you about Elijah. Then they say Elijah, because some people were reading their Bibles, and it says in Malachi chapter 4, before Messiah comes, Elijah will make an appearance. So everybody's waiting for Elijah. Maybe he's the, the forerunner. <laughs> Pay attention. John the Baptist already quoted that scripture in the, when he was baptizing everybody, saying, that scripture is me. I dress like Elijah. I sound like Elijah. My ministry is very much like Elijah. So figuratively speaking, Malachi was prophesying that Elijah, here I am. And Jesus said, and by the way, John the Baptist, he's the Elijah to come. So there was no cause for anybody to say, well, maybe he's Elijah because John the Baptist himself cleared it up that he was the Elijah to come. And Jesus, our Lord, in his teaching was saying, don't, don't get all messed up with the Elijah thing. Right? So then, but they still said it. Maybe he's Elijah, or maybe he's one of the prophets. Moses, Deuteronomy 18, said, there's going to be a prophet. God's going to raise him up. Listen to him. Now, people love this. He's one of the prophets. And then they stop there. Halfway to truth is a lie, all right? Halfway to heaven is the other place, all right? So people get stuck. They get stuck. Well, he was a rabbi. Yeah, he was a rabbi. Oh, he's a good teacher. Yeah, he was. He was a moral example. Okay. More. We need more, or you don't have the real guy. The real guy is Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God, Lord of all. If you don't know that, you don't know him. Now, I imagine Jesus saying, okay, <laughs> they're all still seeing men as trees, right? If Jesus turned to me or one of the disciples in that moment, just in my mind, and say, okay, who do the prophets say I am? Okay, well, if he said that to me, I would say, well, Lord, the prophets say, here we go. You will be born of a virgin that would make you human. You will be called almighty God that would make you God. You will reign and rule forever. That would make you Lord. You will bear the sins of the world. That would make you Savior. So the Old Testament, which all these Jews who are saying, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, Elijah, they've all gone to Sabbath school. <laughs> they know exactly. This is a willful, I'm confused, I'm searching I don't understand. I need more time. We'll talk about this. So what if Jesus said then, okay, is that what the Old Testament guys say about me? Who do, what do I say about myself that they're hearing? Okay, let's talk about that. 
Well, Lord, you said, if we've seen you, we've seen God, the Father. Is that all I've said? No, you said some more stuff, that you and the Father are one. Well, what happened when I said that? Oh, then the Jews said, we're going to execute you right now. And they picked up stones, remember, Lord? And and they started to gather the stones, and they were going to kill you. And you said, for which of my good deeds do you kill me? Do you stone me for? And they said, we're not going to kill you because you're doing good deeds. We're going to kill you because you, a mere man, make yourself out to be God. Bing! They got it. Oh, did they get it? Yeah, and they wanted to kill you. Well, what else did I say? Well, you said you can satisfy the hunger of every human heart, that you were the light of the world. If any man believed in you, anybody in the whole universe put their faith in you, they would never walk in darkness. You said, uh, whoever believes in you, Lord, they'd never die. You'd keep them from death, spiritually speaking. And that everyone will see you seated in the place of power at God's right hand and coming in the clouds of heaven. My question is, how can anybody then or now come up with a different interpretation of who Jesus is when it's so plain and clear? It's right there. Why do I have to listen every Christmas and every Easter to PBS telling me in search of the real Jesus? What's wrong with the Bible? What did Jesus really teach? The historical Jesus. Well, I could tell you a good book to go to. It's called the Bible. It's got his words in red, if you like, right there. But if you hear... Follow me if you don't like what you're hearing about the source of Jesus' life, that he is Lord, that he expects a moral accountability, that your life ends and he is now Lord and controlling your life and you are morally accountable to him. If you don't like any of that, then you can come up with your blurred vision, which is willful unbelief that says, I see men as trees. He's a good teacher. He's a moral example. He's one of the prophets. He's the seventh avatar. Avatar means a manifestation of God consciousness. Now, he can be that. You know why? Because that avatar isn't telling you to move out of your boyfriend's house because sex before marriage is not acceptable to the Lord, but it's fine with the avatar. You see? So we like the avatar. We like the... Standing in line at Oliver's. Minding my own business. (laughs) Maybe not. (laughs) Waiting for my tuna fish sandwich with extra tomatoes with, with Pastor Dave. And there's a guy standing next to me. Well-dressed gentleman. He looks like my brother. He looks like my twin brother. And I said, man, I'm going to go talk to him. Dave's like, go for it. (laughs) So I say, hey, man, Bubba, we could be. And he looks at me and he goes, whoa. (laughs) He goes, yeah, we could be brothers. It's the same kind of, yeah. And well, he had the same nose. That was a dead giveaway. (laughs) So I said, you're a Jew, aren't you? And he says, Sephardic. And I said, Ashkenazi. Ashkenazi Jews, my DNA came back Ashkenazi Jew, which means European Jew. 
He's a Sephardic Jew. We look, we look very similar. Sephardic Jews, Jews that got this, dispersed into Spain and North Africa and the, more of the Middle East, those kind of Jews, right? So we start talking. And, and through the conversation, we found out that he makes a lot of money. <laughs> He's very wealthy. <laughs> We've, we, we got that part. And then, um, then what else happened? Oh, then I said, oh, funny thing. We're talking about being Jewish. And I said, funny thing. Now I'm a Christian pastor. And he goes, oh. <laughs> and I said, come on, man. It's all, don't you ever read our Hebrew Bible, man? Hebrew Bible, he goes, goddess bless. Instead of God bless, goddess. He believes that it's a goddess. I said, where do you find that in the scriptures? He goes, it's my own interpretation. No kidding? <laughs> it's really your own interpretation. How can you be a Jew and say, goddess bless you? And I'm doing this to him. And I'm asking him those questions. He goes, I remember running into a guy like you when I was 24 years old in Boston. And I was like, well, wait a second, because I'm from Boston. I'm like, <laughs> and we are about the same age. But I wasn't saved in Massachusetts yet, so it wasn't me. And so uh, he, that's how indel and indelible of an encounter he had with the Holy Spirit from an evangelical Christian trying to open his eyes. And, he's, and he comes away saying, I see men like trees walking. Goddess bless you. What? Why? Why? It's solely this. It's really all about using your free will to refuse the revelation that you do have because you don't like it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, uses a very peculiar phrase. <clears throat> the gospel was preached and it said they refused to believe. What does that mean? It means free will is involved. That the truth is laid out before you in creation, his divine attributes, his eternal powers through conscience, through the word of God, through the testimony of the church, through the wooing of the Holy Spirit, so much so that Romans chapter 1 says that God has made the truth plain to everyone about him so that men are without excuse. Then why in the world would you get the seventh avatar? Because as I said, the, the goddess above us can let us do with our money anything we want. But the Lord above might have a plan. And so we willfully come up with, oh, I think I see double vision right now. And, and we start with our, he's this or that. We blur our vision, cross our eyes, look for loopholes, contradictions, and other rational or irrational explanations. Listen, my friend, he's one of three things. He's a liar or he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. There is nothing hard about who he says he is. He says, I'm God. I came down to die for your sins, sir, so that you can come and have eternal life by trusting me. What's hard about that? There's nothing hard about that. A fourth grader can get that. Come up with all of these explanations. It's just to buy yourself a little more time. 
The only thing I have to say about that is don't die in your sins while you're buying yourself time so that you can rethink everything that's so complicated that you're a sinner, you need to be saved, and God wants to save you. That's not rocket science, but we go ahead and make it so complicated. Amen? Amen. Time to go back to the verses. So the unenlightened masses are still content to see men as trees, and they're going to get stuck that way because they want it that way. Jesus said, if you ask, seek, and knock it all, you'll get what you need. But if you stop that and you play around with these games, you're, not, you're going to be stuck seeing men as trees, and men as trees can't save you. So he says, now, up close and personal, what about you? Let's move on to the last point. So he says, what about you? He says, do you guys like bumping into things, my disciples? Do you guys uh, want to walk around like Mr. Magoo? Do you remember him? <laughs> He's this dude. Do you remember? He used to drive a car blind. <laughs> and he, every episode, he didn't know how close he came to be narrowly killed because he's so blind he's walking around so Jesus is saying how about you guys you see trees going like this away. do you get it I've been telling you I've been preaching three years now Woody what do you say Peter pipes up you are the Christ the son of the living God now this has rich meaning to be the Christ Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew word Messiah and all Messiah and Christ mean is the one, the one exclusive God-chosen person or vehicle to save you. That's the title. So Jesus means the Lord is salvation. Christ, the title, the one means of that salvation, the God-appointed way for men to escape eternal wrath and come into eternal life. Uh, where the word comes from, Mashiach means Mashiach in Hebrew. It means to smear. <laughs> and what they did was to anoint or smear anointing oil with special ingredients to set apart a king or a priest that says, God has got this guy for a special reason. So when Jesus is the Christ, He's the way to be saved by God's own choosing. He didn't wake up one day and said, I think I'm going to revolutionize the world and show myself a, a rabbi or a moral example. No, he's God sent from heaven as God the Son to save us. That's what anointed Christ means, to be set apart and look at the love of God. The love of God has been setting them apart, anointing Christ since the star of Bethlehem. People don't miss this. This is the God-man sent to save you. He's the Christ. So a star is saying, there he is. Not that guy. Not this guy. He gets his own star as a birth announcement. Then he goes in to be baptized to show his identity with sinners, right? And what do you get? Another anointing. You get the voice of God the Father who spoke not once, not twice, 
three times in the gospel an audible voice from God saying exactly what Christ means. This is him, the Christ, my chosen vehicle. There is one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to heaven through the, no one can get to the Father except through me. That's what Christ means. So when you're confessing Jesus as Christ, you're saying, this is the only Savior. This is the only God. This is my only hope. That's what he's saying when he calls him Christ. And then I like Matthew says, by the way, he said, the son of the living God. That says, Lord, I know you're not just a man. I know somehow I can't explain it. You're more than a man. You're the God man, born of a woman, conceived of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God in a human body. By saying son of the living God, you're the essence, the radiance, the exact representation of the invisible God. That's what he's acknowledging, and that's what came to him. Listen, progressively with the second touch, maybe a third touch to his eyes, and Peter now gets it. You're the God-man. You're the only one. You're the one who came to save me. How did that happen? It happened on a boat. You know, it started off where the disciples did not know who he was. It was a boat. There was a hurricane. Dark, stormy clouds. Ferocious, demonic winds. They're taken on water. They're thinking they're going to die. They're screaming. They can't even hear each other think. And they awaken Jesus. He stands up regally. He stands there, gets his footing. And he says, silence. And it goes, whoosh. Wow. I want to see that moment. And what do they say? Who is he? <laughs> do you see? That's why Jesus has to ask them. Because they've been asking themselves when he speaks to a dead body and it says, hey, Lazarus, come give me a hug. <laughs> he comes out, Right. When there's been someone who has never walked in his life for 38 years, and Jesus says, get up, carry that stretcher home with you, and he gets up. They're asking these questions. Who's ever taught like that? And so through, you could ask Peter, who do you say I am? He'd say, nobody speaks to my heart like you. Nobody has the words of eternal life like you. Nobody could tell me, hey, come walk on the water with me. Nobody can enable me to do the kinds of things that I'm doing unless you were God, the son of the living God. And so those are the things that, I mean, you just, who is this man? Who isn't he? He's our all in all. I've got this beautiful little uh, slide of all the names of Jesus. You know, there, and these are just some of them. You know, you just look at it, and you're just encouraged. But, you know, in the Old Testament, he uses the Hebrew words. He says, I am, which Jehovah means I am. And then he joins it with another name, 
another word to show you his name. So he has a name like, I am your healer. I am your savior. I am your comfort. That's his name. So he's saying, you know who I am? I'm everything you need me to be. Everything, I'm your all in all. Name something you need. I am your provider. And then, and then he says, that's my name. I am the, uh, I like this one. <laughs> Where is it? I'll never find it. There it is, El Roy. He, he says, I am the one who sees you. Because you're always saying, does anybody care? Does anybody know where I live? Hello? And he says, no, no, that's my name. My name. I am the God who sees you. I'm the God who provides for you. I'm the one who, your righteousness, your right standing before God isn't up to you. It's me. That's my name. So when you say, when you have Jesus, you're right with God because that's my name. And that's my gift to you. Let me close by telling you a story about a woman who called me and she was upset with me over something I said <laughs> at a memorial service. I was doing a memorial service. She got a hold of my phone number and she gave me a call on the Monday. The memorial service was on a Saturday and she calls me and she says, listen, I was at the memorial service and I'm just calling to say I was so offended because you made Jesus sound like he is God. <laughs> and I said, well, <laughs> that's kind of what it says. I say, and she says, well, I'm Jewish and I'm so offended. And I said, my last name is Reinman, not O'Kelly. All right, so <laughs> no offense to Irish people. I'm just saying Reinman, you know, right. Okay, it has a ring to it. Do you recognize that? And she says, oh, Oy vey, not another one like you. And so she says, so she says, listen, I said, listen, she says, there's nothing in the Hebrew Bible. I said, get your Hebrew Bible. Do you have one? And she said, yes, I do. And it's right here. I said, open to, and I opened to uh, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father. And she said, how are you reading the same words that are in my Bible? I said, because they're the same. She goes, no, I'm reading the Hebrew. And I said, so am I. No, I'm reading the regular Bible you get down at the bookstore because they're the same. Surprise. Their Hebrew Bible in English is right out of our Bible. It's the same, right? She was blown away by that. And so I said, do you see how Messiah said he's going to be almighty God? And she was like, oh, yeah. And I said, listen. And I was inspired by this. Pastor Adam made a comment like this once, and I used it in the conversation. I said, listen, you're waiting for Messiah? She goes, yes, we are. And I said, well, what's he going to do when he gets here? Because, listen, our Messiah has already <laughs> opened blind eyes, healed deaf ears, made the mute to talk. He raised the dead. He cleansed lepers. He healed the lame and all the sick. He fed hungry people with loaves of bread and fish from heaven. He walked on the water. And then he went to the cross to die for all of our sins. He was dead, crucified, dead, buried, raised again so that we could have eternal life. So what's your Messiah going to do when he gets here? And then she said, well, when you put it that way, not a lot. <laughs> you know? 
something along those lines where she was acknowledging kind of tongue in cheek with me, you know, but um, that's the deal. This is, this is the one. Listen, listen to me, please listen to me, especially if you see ministries. Listen, the God who made you and everything you see and holds it all together by his powerful word. He became one of us and he would have done it just for you and laid down his life and said, listen, I could, I could lead a horse to water, but I can't make it drink. And he just says, drink, come to the fountain, man. Come to the fountain, let me touch you again. And, and, and we go back to the spittle. Yeah, there were a few hard things to say about Christianity. The world can't stand some of the narrow stances. But if you can get over that, your soul is worth getting over any of those problems. Amen? Amen. You have a decision to make. And I'm giving you time to think about it. You need more time. (laughs) I'm going to tell you this. There's a woman I've been sharing the gospel with in first service. I didn't know she was here. And she came up afterwards and she said, you knew I was here, huh? And I said, no, before God, I did not know you were here. She said, every time I come, you just say the things that I exactly needed to hear exactly and, and she said, that was a wonderful sermon. And I said, it was a horrible sermon. It was a wretched sermon. It's a sermon I will hate for the rest of my life because it left you unsaved. And she said, look, I got a couple sticking points. And I go, men as trees, men as trees, men as trees. And she lets me play around like that. She laughed. I'm laughing. And I spent some time talking to her. Listen to me. What is worth losing your soul over? Stop this madness. Close your eyes. Let the spittle get in there. Wipe it off. And ta-da. You're one of us. You're saved. And like I told her, get in the lifeboat. Then we'll work out the complications. You know enough to get in the lifeboat. And from the lifeboat, we can work on some of the sticking points because now you'll have the Holy Spirit and it'll be a lot easier. Amen? Amen. Now let's pray together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, it is a joy to be able to represent you and your invitation, not mine, not the church's, nothing to do with the rock, but everything to do with the gospel. And therefore, we are privileged to say we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God today. If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Open your heart. Let Christ open your eyes so that you can be saved. Enjoy God's love. Your sight could be restored and you could see everything clearly that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of the living God. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. 
Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.